Well, greetings in Jesus' name this morning. We are so glad to be here with you. And uh, I always tell, my mom used to sometimes tell me as a child growing up that, do you want to hear the good news first? I've got news for you. You want to hear the good news or the bad news? And uh, as a child, I always want to get the bad news out of the way so she could get to the good news. And so I would usually say, well, tell me the bad news. And, uh, you know, I don't know how you are this morning, but I'm going to start out with what I call the bad news this morning in our message. And the end, I'm going to wrap it up with the good news to leave you an encouraging word. Let's this morning take our Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 19. Judges 19. Pastor this morning alluded to Matthew 24 and some other chapters in the Bible, and I would agree with him. Uh, we are definitely, I believe, in the last days. And, but the good, here's the good news. We don't know the day or the hour, but we can see the signs of the times. And if you hear of somebody knowing the day and the hour, it's a false prophet. I remember in, when I was 1988 in Iowa, there was a book out. It probably was in Ohio, too, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And many people fell for that. And yet, we're here now in 2020, and a lot has happened the first six months of this year, but we're here for a time such as this. If you're taking notes this morning and you want to title the message, I would say title it something like this. I have a hard time putting a title on it, but I would say, what's the state of my landmark? What's the state of my landmark? Let's just read Judges 19 this morning, starting in verse 19. Judges 19 and verse 19. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me and for thy handmaid, and for thy young man which is with thy servants. There is no want of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with thee. However, howsoever, let all thy wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the streets. So he brought him into his house and gave provender unto his asses, and they washed their feet and did eat and drink. Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, I beset the house round about, and beat at the door, and spake to the master of the house. The old man saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them, and said unto him, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you do, do not so wickedly, seeing this man is coming to thine house, mine house, do not this folly. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine, and brought her forth unto them. And they knew her, and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day, and fell down at the door of the man's house, where her Lord was, till it was light. And her Lord rose up in the morning, and opened the door of the house, and went out to his, go his way, and behold, the woman his concubine was fallen down at the door of, of the house, and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up and let us be going, but none answered. Then the man took her up upon an ass, and the man rose up and gat him unto his place. And when he was come unto his house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine and divided her together with her bones unto twelve pieces and sent her into all the coasts of Israel. And it was so that all that saw it said, There was no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider of it, take advice, speak your minds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we look at this passage of Scripture, one of the saddest passages that I see in the Old Testament. Lord, so much turmoil, so much strife, so much hopelessness. I pray this morning as we look at this, And say, what does this have to do with us today? Is there any similarity? Can we learn something from this? 
I pray you would give us wisdom. Give me wisdom as I share, Lord, if there's anything this morning that is not from you, that it'd be like the waste, fall, like chaff that just falls by the wayside. But, Lord, if it is from you, that it would speak and penetrate the hearts of each one of us here. Help me, Father, and I just pray for your anointing upon this place this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, there's some similarities to this Judges chapter 19 as is to Genesis 19 when Lot was in Sodom. And I may get to that a bit. This last week, my wife was down in Kansas City with our oldest daughter who had her second baby. And she spent a couple days there. And one child was in Minnesota visiting her boyfriend, soon to be married here in, what, four weeks almost, I think it is, something like that. And so another son was off. And so we had a lot of things going on this week. We were kind of scattered around. And I took some time in the evenings. I love history. And I like to think you can learn from history. But history doesn't always repeat itself. But history does rhyme. And I think we can go in the scriptures and look from history. What is it saying? We can also look in our culture. What's what's happening? And if you look at this year, can you imagine? Can you think back to January? What you guys were doing in January? So much has happened. You can hardly think back to March. A lot has happened through the course of time. I think of, you know, as a child growing up, I remember when Ronald Reagan was shot. And I remember how that impacted me or when the Twin Towers went down. But the generation before me, my mother and some of you know when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And the generation prior to that, they know about the Great Depression. But the younger generation here among us, they'll never forget 2020. Coronavirus or COVID, whatever you want to call it, rioting in the streets to monuments being taken down. The list goes on. A lot of turmoil and a lot of strife. I'm going to talk after a bit, a little bit, about monuments. Before that, I did some history, studying in history this week, and it shocked me what I found. So for the next few minutes... I'm going to give you a big history lesson. Then we're going to get back into God's word. And we're going to see what God has to say about it. I don't know. And I wouldn't have known before this week what the word crystal night was. Crystal night was a night of broken glass history. Does anybody here know what crystal night was? Okay, not a bond trigger because I already told you. But yes, sir, over here. What, can you, what, what was it? He said in World War II, he's right. The Knights, the Germans destroyed a lot of Jews. November 9 and 10, 1938, the brown shirts and stormtroopers burned 267 synagogues throughout Germany and Austria that Hitler had control of. In those days, mobs destroyed 7,000 Jewish businesses. That is similar to Antifa and Black Lives Matter today. That mentality is the same mentality as what we're seeing today. The Holocaust was ignited that night. The match was lit. As the mobs went throughout the cities, they broke out windows and looted and burned the stores. Does that sound familiar? Brown shirts were roaming, brown shirts were Hitler's men, were roaming the streets and demanding people kneel at their feet. In 1938, they would go up and assault a Jewish home, and they would, the people would come out of the house and they would force them to kneel at gunpoint. Just in the last week, CNN interviewed the two main leaders of Black Lives Matter, and they admitted that they are Marxists, trained to take down the American government. They're more dangerous than Marxists because they're a cross between a Marxist and a Nazi. Nazism and communism is very similar. It is socialist government, dictatorship, and control of people throughout mind, speech, life, actions, etc. Brown shirts running through the streets demanded that people kneel at their feet. Book burnings, censorship, emptying libraries. They burned the past. They burned the history. CNN, MSNBC, and all their major networks, 
will not put anyone on the air today that does not share their beliefs. Facebooks will censor you, but videos on how to take down American statutes stay put up. Go figure. Also very popular in Germany was what was called snitching. People were paid to tattle on the Jews. If anyone did anything against Hitler, they would have stormtroopers come knocking at your door. They were snitching on neighbors and co-workers. There was tremendous propaganda put out to turn people against the Jews. In fact, I, I witnessed this in communist North Korea about 20 years ago. I was there for about three days. And as I went into North Korea, I was signed what they called Secret Service. I don't know why they called him Secret Service, because he was right close to me to keep an eye on me the whole time I was there. And I remember one particular night, I wasn't feeling good, and I stayed in the motel room. And by the way, that motel room had a little microphone up on the ceiling. It was bugging. Everything on that 13th floor was for any foreign visitors so they could keep track of us. And I remember finding out while I was there that the man that was in charge of me, he had gone to eat, and he left me for about 45 minutes. And he, 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 found, he came back, but if he would have got caught doing that, he would have got demoted and somebody else would have got a higher, went higher in the army there in law enforcement. There was snitching going all the time in North Korea and in China today and many of those countries. Well, that's what was going on back in Germany. There was tremendous propaganda to turn people against the Jews. But the greatest tragedy, folks, was that good people stood by and did nothing. 85, 90% of the German people did not agree with what went on, but they stood by and did nothing. Police stood by and let it happen. Just like in Genesis 19, when Lot was there in Sodom, or in Judges 19 that I just read, we don't hear anything about law enforcement coming and stopping what was going on. It just, chaos happened, okay? Anarchy happened. What a lot of people don't know about Kristallnacht, I didn't know this till this week, was it was ignited by the killing of a man, a German diplomat by the name of Ernest von Roth. Herschel Greenspan, a Jewish man, killed von Roth. Hitler's propaganda machine went to work. That happened on November 7th. Two days later, riots broke out. The same thing happened in America. Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. By the way, those two, I don't know if you know this or not, those two worked together at a nightclub for 17 years. They knew each other, okay? What ignited the tragedy in America? The killing of George Floyd. Unless you dig into history, you'll never find this out. Von Ross was a German diplomat, but he was also a sodomite a partner of Greenspan. They two had a solid sodomite relationship and were meeting at a bar in Paris. Von Roth started being unfaithful to Greenspan. In a rage of jealousy, Greenspan killed Von Roth. Even though Von Roth was a German, he was not a fan of Hitler. When that happened, Hitler saw it as an opportunity to inflame the German people against the Jewish people. But he lied to them as to why he killed him. It was used as a match. By the way, this history you can find from historian Hans Gergen Doscher. I didn't make this up. But I had to think of Rahm Emanuel, former mayor of Chicago. He's the one that coined the words, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I look at that. Hitler did not let a crisis go to waste. He used that. Last week, or about 10 days ago, 15,000 transgenders marched in New York City, 12,000 in Los Angeles. If you look into the core of Black Lives Matter, you'll find front and center is a sodomite agenda. It really is. Greenspan killed Von Roth on Monday. By Wednesday and Thursday, Crystal Night occurred, and the leaders did nothing. Hitler's brown shirt thugs took over the police force. Let me tell you, folks, what's going on in this country. This is the bad news. 
Brown Lives Matter and Antifa want to have their own police force in our cities. They're taking a page out of Hitler's playbook. Go to Seattle, go to Minneapolis, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Hitler then issued a decree that the Jews were not allowed to possess firearms of any kind or even a knife. If they were found to be in possession of any of these, it would mean an automatic 20-year prison sentence. Wow. When von Roth was murdered, the German leaders said they would do nothing. Very similar to our Democratic Party today. It really is. Our Democratic Party today is Marxist and communist, but try to make us believe they're patriotic. They really aren't. They really aren't. The Nazis believed they had been robbed by the Jews all throughout the centuries. So what did they do? We want what the Jews have. We want to be reprobated. 95% of the American people never owned a slave. Okay? But 600,000 Americans died over that issue. Jewish doors were looted and burned. Then people went into cemeteries. And what did they do? They took down monuments and statues. The Jews were then taxed 20% of all their possessions to pay for the destruction that had been done in Germany. This is history. Crystal Knight released the Holocaust and was the birth of World War II. And then yesterday I read that the mayor of Minneapolis is asking the U.S. government for $500 million in federal funds to rebuild the, home, rebuild the businesses in Minneapolis that were looted and burned that she didn't allow the police force to defend. Thankfully, at this point, our president has stood and said they're not going to get any. But, you know, we need to pray for him. I, uh, there's a lot of similarities, a lot, way more. When I started digging into this this week between America and Nazi Germany, many Americans today are afraid to fly the American flag for fear of being attacked. There's a tremendous spirit of fear in our nation. We've been on the road. We've been in New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware the last number of weeks. The fear level is through the roof. They sense our fear. You know when an animal senses fear in you, do you know what they do? They attack you. Years ago, probably 25 years ago, I was in sales, agricultural products. I never forget being in Missouri, going up to a farmer's house, door on his farmhouse, and he had a black German shepherd. That's why to this day I struggle with German shepherds. So if you, any of you have German shepherds, hey, uh, forgive me for my, my attitude toward German shepherds. This black German shepherd sat there, and he looked at me with this rumble in his throat. And I didn't like the looks of it, but yet I wanted to knock on that door and see if I could make a sale, okay? So I just walk up there real like I own the world. But inside I was fearful as could be. But I thought, I'm not going to let that dog know because I was told that if you just show them you're fearful, they'll attack you. I got about five feet away, and I turned around to see if Bowser, what he's doing. Well, Bowser saw the look in my eyes, and he thought, that man is fearful, and he exploded. And he came after me, and he got me in the back of the leg, took a chunk out of my blue jeans, not to mention the skin underneath. And uh, about that time, the door opened up, and the farmer called the dog off. I just say that. I witnessed firsthand how, that, how true that really is. But, you know, our, our leaders, our corrupt leaders, they know if they can put a spirit of fear in you, they know they've got you. And the Bible talks about not having the spirit of fear, but of what? Of love and of truth and of a sound mind. Amen? Um, so what's being taken down? What's gone today? Gone with the wind is gone. No Eskimo pie. No Aunt Jemina. Probably the NFL. No Uncle Ben. Lessons from the Holocaust? The Jews say he stood by and did nothing. Go to Manhattan today. It's all boarded up. Minneapolis, there's over 700 stores shut down in Minneapolis. Seattle, it may have opened up, but you all know about Seattle. Many of the blocks were, you know, were just shut down. 
But what bothers me, and I'm really trying to get a grip on this, what happened in Germany on Kristallnacht, the churches by and large said nothing. Several pastors spoke out and immediately got thrown into concentration camps. People bowed to the Nazis. They kneeled to the lie and followed the cultural trend. Um, Let's talk about landmarks a bit. NBC News a couple weeks ago said, and I'll quote it the best I remember it, from the northeast to the Midwest to the deep south, America's past is coming down. From George Washington to Abraham Lincoln to Thomas Jefferson to Robert E. Lee, America's past is coming down. And I thought about that. Bible says in four times in the Old Testament, and I know this is talking about surveying terms, but it says, Thou shalt, in Deuteronomy 19.14, says, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of the old times have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Deuteronomy 27.17 says, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen. And one of the more familiar ones is in Proverbs 22.28, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Proverbs 23.10, Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the field of the fatherless. I've thought about landmarks a lot the last week or two. In fact, Kurt, would you just show on the screen what I asked you to show this morning? This will only be about two, three minutes long. This was the moment when the Christopher Columbus statue in Little Italy was torn down by protesters last weekend. A group can be seen dragging it on the ground towards the harbor and throwing the statue into the water. Earlier this week, Little Italy residents, including former state senator John Pica, worked together to try and recover pieces of the statue. Ultimately, it took this heavy-duty tow truck to pull it out. But now that it is out, what's next for the Columbus statue? We are restoring the Columbus statue. Uh, We're not sure where that's going to go yet. Pika says the Italian-American community has been in touch with Councilman Zeke Cohen, who represents Little Italy. I believe the focal point of that park will remain a tribute to an Italian figure. Um, We don't know who it is. On Thursday, Mayor Jack Young condemned the action of the protesters. There's no way you can, you know, erase history. You learn from it. And those monuments should have something there to talk about what happened in the dark past. There are still two other monuments dedicated to Columbus in the city. Many are hoping they will be addressed and possibly even taken down by city leadership. In 2016, a special commission was formed to review Baltimore's public Confederate monuments before they were removed. But when asked if there's any talk of forming a similar commission to address the Columbus monuments, Mayor Young said this. I would defer to the next administration. Baltimore's likely next mayor, City Council President President Brandon Scott has not exactly said what his plan would be. There will be an upcoming city council hearing to discuss what to do with the Columbus Monument in Herring Run Park in Baltimore. Liz Ortiz. Thank you. I think you get the, get the picture. And that's happening all across our nation. But there's such a spirit of fear to stand up against that. Michael Kath is a pastor in Georgia at uh, Sherwood Baptist. That's the, that's the church that's put out the films, Fireproof, Courageous, and Facing the Giants. He said this a while back. He said, we are overwhelmed in our nation with fear. In our culture, afraid of the economy, afraid of the future, not have anything for retirement, health care, etc. The news has so bombarded us believers that we need to stand up and say, we're going to push back. We'll not let darkness rule over us. We're going to turn the light on. We're going into culture. and We're going to take a stand in our home communities, etc. I thought that was very well 
Very well done. So I want to hope when you leave here after a bit, you're going to leave with more of a spring to stand up for Jesus Christ than ever before. And, you know, I know these are just blocks of granite. I get that. And they're of men and maybe some cases women, and they weren't perfect people. But they were some of the founders of our nation. They understood, many of those guys understood the biblical value. And that's all woven throughout the Constitution. Our Bi- the Constitution is full of Bible. It really is from front to center. Look at it sometime. So I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, how, what do we do? That might be, you might be sitting in the pews this morning saying, okay, we get this, Marlon. There's been rioting. There's been mobs. They've been taking down our landmarks. Um, what do we do? And I thought about that because I hate when somebody gives bad news and doesn't give a good solution. And so by God's grace, I'm going to give you the best solution with his help from the Bible that I possibly can. First of all, yes, it's not a solution. It's just kind of a side note. But in the last 40 years, there's been tremendous indoctrination happened through our secular humanistic philosophies and our public school systems and university. So I would just say, I remember when I was a boy and my mom and dad, I heard them talking about our local elementary school. Actually, it was high school first, and then it trickled down to elementary school. Now it's in kindergarten. It was called sex education. I didn't know what that was. We wouldn't have talked like that at home, okay, in those days. Well, that was back then, and it's a bunch of garbage. But anyhow, I say all this to say I believe the indoctrination period, by and large, is over. That mission they accomplished. Because if you look at the 40 and under crowd in our culture, outside of many of our good churches, they have been indoctrinated 100%. They really have. What's phase two? Silencing the churches. You need to pray for your pastor to have a fire in his bones and other pastors like never before. You as dads and as moms need to pray for yourself and for your families like never before. Because California, Governor Newsom just this week is trying to get church, or he did issue a decree that churches don't sing out loud. Ludicrous. How do you worship the Lord? And that's, that's literally crazy. And they'll try that. And they'll try other things. Uh, last night I heard a general from the U.S. Navy, um, 24th of June, the Navy was, was uh, mandated that no more chapel services, none, not even out in open air. Now, as of yesterday, that they might be able to open up again. They weren't even having that much of a COVID problem. They were shutting everything down because the chaplains were going into the higher-ups and saying, well, could we at least meet outside, open air? And they were just trying to put the kibosh on everything. So now from indoctrination stage, I believe we're going into let's shut the churches down, what we can do. So I just, that's the bad news. Now, here, I'm going to give you some good things. What is good? What can we as a Christian do? I've got four things I jotted down, and this is not in particular order, but I believe watch in all things. Second Timothy 4, verse 5, but watch thou in all things. Keep your eyes open. Be wise. When you go to a restaurant, I got a son that just, a son-in-law that just graduated from police academy in Kansas City. He was doing this before he went to police academy. When he go to a restaurant, he would sit down at a table and be able to see the door. You might say, Marlon, that's kind of crazy. No, he was just trying to be wise and protect his family. You don't know the culture you live in. You got a young ladies. I wouldn't have thought nothing of it uh, 20 years ago to have, or 10 years ago, to have my one of my girls go into Iowa City late at night. Now, I want somebody with her. It's just a different world. But more than that, on a spiritual sense, what's coming into your home? What kind of things are coming in your home? We need to watch like never before. I mean coming in your home in forms of music, movies, um, magazines, books, etc. Okay? Watch in all things. Second point, I have stand or hold fast. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. Wow. 
Watch ye stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. My mind goes back to some guys in the scripture. I love some of these guys. Daniel prayed three times a day. When they passed that decree, what did Daniel do? You know what? I need to go find a new prayer closet. No, he didn't. He, for him, prayer was essential. He went and prayed at that window whether they saw him or not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How about Paul and Silas? You know how they worshipped in the jail? I'm guessing, I almost guarantee, Paul and Silas had a spirit of worship wherever they went. When they were put, behind, put in the jail that night, it's just time to sing to the Lord. We're just a different location, but we're still singing for him, okay? Um, there's people, other people that stood. Nehemiah, Esther, she understood the times. Noah, he was all in, no matter what the cost. Did you know you go all throughout the Old Testament, you will only find one time that God told Noah to build an ark. One time. But he took that seriously, and he obeyed God 100%. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to hear something three, four, five times, and then maybe... If I feel like it, I'll do it. Not Noah. God meant what he said. Noah obeyed. Look at that spirit, his family. John the Baptist, he took a risk, lost his head over it. By the way, all of Jesus' disciples, as far as I know, except maybe John, died an untimely death. I, I could go on and on. There's so many examples in scriptures. Second Timothy 3.14 says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Continue that. Young people that are among us, the things your mom and dad told you were important, don't just discard them. Those are landmarks in your life. Think seriously. I told my wife a week or two ago, we're going to just start sitting down as a family, her and I do, and really evaluate. What kind of things have we taken a stand for? And what are we willing to? Ah, it's not important, but what are we saying? You know what? We're going to take a stand for this. I don't care what happens. And I think I would encourage all of you, think about that. You know, um, very important. But what about the church? Philippians 1.7 says, and this is for all of us, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, I may hear of your fears that you stand fast in one spirit, but with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. I think this is an army. You may think you're not much when you look, if you open that, oh, turn on that TV screen, which, by the way, doesn't have much of any good to look at. But if you see all those mobs, you think, well, we're nothing here in Finley, Ohio. Do you know God's always done great things with just a remnant? He really has. You don't need 5,000 people. You get a bunch of people like this just serious about doing what's right and standing for truth. It's amazing what can happen. So I said, watch. I said, stand, continue. The fourth one is teach your children. 2 Timothy 3.15, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And that from a child thou hast known the holy, holy scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, is what the Hebrew culture called the Shema Creed, S-H-E-M-A. And I actually have this on our farm sign back home because I don't want to forget this importance. And uh, yesterday as I was driving out here from Iowa... I think with the exception of about maybe 30 minutes, I had a child up front beside me. And we were talking about a lot of things. But I was trying to use those opportunities to make, to really speak life and encourage them as I was traveling. But here's what Deuteronomy 6 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, now walkest by the way when thou liest down and when thou risest up. 
and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gate. Wow. Teaching them as you go through life. I heard a, a joke a couple months ago, and I think it has a lot of truth to it. Two older gentlemen were watching two little boys playing. And the one gentleman said to the other, what do you think those, guys, those, boys, those three boys are going to be when they grow up? One was a Jewish boy, and the one was a Catholic, and the one was a Baptist. And the one gentleman said, well, the Jewish boy, he'll be a Jew. He said, the Catholic, he'll be a Catholic. And he said about the Baptist, you know, he said, only God in heaven knows what he might turn out to be. And I know that sounds, I don't like the sound of that, by the way, but there's more truth in that than I wish. And I say that because my children aren't all grown and gone. They're not perfect. They don't have a perfect dad. But my prayer, my wife's prayer, is that the true test of our family would really show itself three, four, and five generations from now. And I might touch on that a little bit tonight. But God is a God in terms of generations. We can dress up, all of us can. We can come to church and look like everything's fine. But let's really impart vision in the next generation. So I said, watch, stand, continue, and teach your children. So what about landmarks? What about landmarks? What are they really? A landmark is a structure that has significant historical, architectural, or cultural meaning and has been given legal protection from alteration and destruction. But how about the landmark this morning, folks, of salvation? In 1987, cold January evening, I was at a revival services. I had just wasted my years 15 to 20, lived the party crowd. And I remember the revival service about halfway back. And the minister was talking about eternal hell and eternal heaven. And there is a way out. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And many other scriptures he was sharing that night. And I was under such conviction because I thought, what if? What if I get born again? What is that going to do to having fun in life? I was at such, should I say, such a narrow view of fun. I didn't know what fun was. Anyhow, may I just say this? The Holy Spirit convicted me that evening. And I remember going to the altar and surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. And saying, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And that evening I asked him to give me, or to take from me, that thirst I had for alcohol. And by God's grace, he did. But I will tell you, that was, a, that was a landmark in my life. And why did I bring that up? Because I want to give you a couple practical examples. If you're sitting here this morning, you've had a landmark like that in your life. And many of you, I can see your minds are kind of thinking. You're thinking back to that day. That is great. And God in heaven knows about that. And you don't have to hope so, think so, maybe you're saved. You can know, you can have assurance of salvation because of what God's word says. I totally believe that. However, how about you tell the next generation about your landmark? I was speaking in Florida in the Panhandle a couple years ago at a men's conference, and I had one of my sons, Taylor, actually come up. I said, I was telling the men how we've got to tell the next generation the great things that God has done. And so I just handed Taylor the mic, and I said, Taylor, I want you to share with these men your father's testimony, how he got saved. And I did it more than anything just to see if I had done my job to tell him. And he did a great job. You can go sit down. He did a great job. But the point I'm making is you might be sitting here thinking, well, we, can, we can't force Christianity in the next generation. That is true. You can't force it, but you can make it very inviting. The world is doing everything they can to make their agenda inviting, so, force, so, so encourage them with it. So anyhow, that's, that's landmark number one. Another landmark in my life was about two years later when... A year or two later, when God laid on my heart uh, the name Becky Stolzfus. she that was my, my, my wife. 
And uh, it was 30-some years ago. And, Lord, you know, we got married and all that. That was another stake in the ground for me. And then about uh, a year or two after that, I think we had one child. And I came in from work one day. And she said, I just listened to uh, Judge Heckman on the radio. James Dobson was interviewing him. And Judge Heckman was a judge from Michigan. And he said, you know, it's very easy as a Christian to be anti-abortion. But we're not very pro-life as far as allowing the blessing of children. And she said, what do you think? And I was kind of, I kind of thought, well, you know, I, I, that overwhelmed me at first. And I thought about that. And I said, you know, Lord, we'll take whatever you give us. And let me back up a little bit. The doctors had told us when we got married, we would maybe never have any children. True story. And we said, Lord, we'll take whatever you give us. And we have 10 blessings today. And so I just say, that's another landmark. Fast forward about 12 years after that. When I got saved, I never got rid of my pornography. And it was a, it was a burden on me. It was a weight on me. I'd have victory for a time, and then I wouldn't. And I'd feel guilty. I'd feel terrible. And I was on the way to Indianapolis, Indiana, to a father's conference. And I was leaving Iowa, and I was going down through Quincy, Illinois, and going across. And I'm just going to be a little transparent with you. I stopped at a uh, gas station by myself. And as I went in to pay for my fuel, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue had just come out. And I remember walking over there, and just I didn't open it, but I just looked at the front cover, and I thought, you know, nobody will know. And then... As I looked at that, all of a sudden, Mitchell, my oldest son, Carson, Joshua, Denver, Taylor, and Hudson, they all came to my mind. And I went out and sat in the front seat of my Dodge truck, and I put my heads in my hands. I started weeping and shaking and asking God to deliver me. And that day at that filling station, I put a stake in the ground. That was another landmark. And I share that with you, not because I'm super human. I'd be lying to tell you Satan has never, ever tempted me since. But I think of my children. And if you're a dad sitting here this morning, you've got young boys. When you look at that kind of garbage, it opens a crack for Satan to have direct access into the next generation for your sons and for your daughters. We've traveled too much, maybe, and I've heard too many horror stories but almost always, very often, when a young man is dealing in pornography, dad's dealing in it as well. The sins of the generations follow. So, Father, if you're sitting here this morning, this is, I have not even planned to speak on this this morning. It just came to me. But call it out as sin. Repent of it. Go to your pastor or somebody you trust and help him, have him help hold you accountable. You want to get that taken care of. Anyhow, I've just given you a couple ideas. You may have some landmarks this morning that are different than mine, but I hope there's one common landmark that we all share. That's the time you came to know Jesus as your own Lord and personal Savior. Because, you know, as you look at that on the screen a while ago, you know what I see? I see a crowd that's searching for answers. They've been so indoctrinated by humanistic philosophy. They don't know what you and I know. And you look in Judges, you look in Genesis, when Lot was in Sodom, the chaos, it's the same playbook. There wasn't law, law enforcement was doing nothing. It was a godless culture. We are here in 2020 for a time such as this. I really believe so. So, tell your children your landmarks, especially the landmark of salvation. Over a cup of coffee, over a bowl of ice cream, or just sitting out on a park bench, make sure they know. I'm going to have Pastor come up as we go into invitation this morning. But what state is your landmarks in this morning? Have they been crumbling down over the years? 
Are there some things, some convictions, maybe in dress or some areas that you stood for, and all of a sudden they're not important to you, and you need to get them erected back up again?